On and Off, our podcast covering the on-premise and off-premise beverage alcohol industry. I'm Melissa Dowling, editor of Cheers. And I'm Kyle Swartz, editor of Beverage Dynamics Magazine. In this episode, we're taking a look at a newer, fast-growing whiskey company, Lost Lantern. This independent bottler reflects changing trends in the industry. We're joined by Lost Lantern's two founders, Nora Ganley Roper and Adam Polonsky. Yes, thanks so much for joining us today. So I know that you don't come from traditional distilling backgrounds, so I'm interested to hear a little bit about how you got into Lost Lantern. Yeah, well, first, absolutely. thanks so much for having us on the podcast. Yeah, excited to be here. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, we neither of us come from traditional distilling backgrounds, and Lost Lantern, as an independent bottler, is never going to distill. But we do both come from the industry, but I think in somewhat unusual ways. I, I used to be a, a drinks journalist, um, originally writing for Market Watch magazine and some of the other um, Shankin companies. So you all were our uh, competition. So fun to be on the <laughs> Um, what? <laughs> and for Whiskey Advocate magazine, uh, where I was a, a reviewer for American whiskeys, primarily focusing on whiskey from new distilleries all around the country. Yeah. And my industry background was at Astor Wines and Spirits in New York. I was sales manager there. So we we actually, this the idea of starting an independent baller came out of our experience in the industry, drinking both scotch from scotch IVs and drinking craft whiskey at the same time and realizing that it's so hard to get your hands on whiskey that is made all across the U.S. because just like craft beer, whiskey is very regionally focused these days. So places that are making amazing whiskey may only release in their home market and maybe a few states around that. And even living in New York City, working on, working at those places, um, we couldn't get our hands on the good stuff. So taking taking the independent bottler model and applying it in the U.S. felt natural to us as an outgrowth of our own industry experience. Yeah, you know, as you said, uh, independent bottling, obviously very popular in Scotch, uh, where it has a long, long tradition. Why haven't we seen more of it in the U.S.? We, we think it just didn't really make sense in the United States until very recently, because traditionally in U.S. whiskey, the there have only been a few states that had distilleries. It was mostly in Kentucky, Tennessee, and a little bit in Indiana. Most of the companies, uh, the distilleries were owned by big companies. They didn't have a need for um, independent bottling the way that they did in Scotland, where the primary products were these big flagship multi-million case blends. But in the U.S., in the last 20 years, new distilleries have opened all across the country in every state. Many of them are, as Nora was saying, are small and regionally focused, don't have a huge imprint on their own, and it's hard for people to get their hands on them. So until those started to rise up, we don't think it really made sense for there to be an independent bottler. And we also think that's why we ended up being the ones to do this, because it was going to come from someone in the industry who was able to see that opportunity, was familiar with the, the scotch industry, and saw that this would suddenly work here when it hadn't made sense before. Yeah, and just to be clear to the listeners who may not be as familiar with independent bottling in the U.S., there's really not a whole lot of it right now. It's still an extraordinarily small industry. Yeah, so I guess just just to clarify what independent bottling is, because mm. for um, for American um, whiskey drinkers, they may not have even really heard of it. Scotch people will have. Um, it basically is a style of company that buys whiskey from distilleries all over the for us, the, the country, for other places, the world, and either blends or bottles, or I guess blends and bottles those whiskeys with full transparency on where they're coming from. It's a bit different from the blending tradition that you see both in Scotland and we've seen for a while now in the US where it's sourcing from MGP, Dickel, other places like that and blending things together to bring out those flavors. But the independent bottling model that we're looking towards is reaching wider and the story is 
about the distilleries we work with rather mm. than our brand. I mean, we have a brand, but our our job is to talk about why those dis- distillers are are really really good. Um, and I think that it's a model that you, that comes from Scotch. So if you're an American, if you're a bourbon drinker or rye drinker, you may not even know about it. So I think for us, bringing it here felt natural because we were drinking a lot of IV Scotch. And there is a space in the market, I think, for someone coming in who has trained palates, who knows the industry really well, to help people sift through the 2,600 distilleries that are now in the U.S. So it is it is a new thing for the U.S. for the reasons that Adam was talking about. But I think it's going to be something that becomes more of a regular thing because I think there's enough there's. I mean, there are over 100 in Scotland, so there's going to be more than a couple yeah. of us in the U.S. I totally agreed. Who are right. some of the distilleries you're working with? I mean, obviously, a rhetorical question because I know the answer, but can you tell us a little bit about some of the distilleries you're working with? Yeah, so we've we've worked with over 20 distilleries across the United States in the two and a half years since we've launched. We've released more than 40 whiskeys, and they range from distilleries that are fairly well-known um, to like St. George Spirits in California, the oldest craft distillery in the country, but Connie's Distilling in Texas, Westland in Washington, um, Frey Ranch in Nevada, to places that are a little smaller and more regionally focused, like Copperworks in Washington, which is an award-winning single malt that is only available in Washington State, mm. and uh, Starlight in Indiana, which has gotten a lot of buzz in that part of the country, but is not as well-known in California or the West Coast. Cedar Ridge Ridge in Iowa, which is the top selling bourbon in Iowa, but is not very well known beyond the Midwest. So we like to highlight both the the smaller distilleries that that have a very local imprint and ones that may have national distribution, but still are not necessarily well known to to all whiskey drinkers. Starlight's not as big on the West Coast. I had no idea about that. Obviously, being an East Coast person like you two, I see Starlight everywhere I look. Well, that's, that's the interesting thing is that many distilleries now that we think are being very smart about their distribution are really focusing on their home state and a couple of markets around mm-hmm. that. 10 years ago, a lot of craft distilleries came out and two years after they launched, they were available in 47 states. They'd mm-hmm. signed some big partnership. And then they found that they just didn't have the sales force to, to drive the pull through and working through the three-tier system, there's constant pressures from, from everyone like send us more whiskey. And then if you descend to the wrong place, then it doesn't sell. Um, so places now usually just focus on their core markets and end up doing better that way, which is how Cedar Ridge became the top selling bourbon in Iowa. They decided we are going to focus on our home market, win hearts and minds there, and built a very successful business off of it. But then we can come in and say, hey, whiskey drinkers in the rest of the country, you may not know this, but but you should. And here's how you can get your hand on hands on it through us. Right. So what are some of the things that you look for when blending and bottling? For the for the whiskey itself or yeah. Well, so for us, it's a combination of a few things. So we never buy whiskey from distilleries that we haven't visited because it's really important to us that we understand the people that make it, understand the climate that goes into producing that whiskey, and also get a chance to taste the whiskey itself. Um, We're always looking for a certain level of quality. Our goal is to be very consistent. So when people see things on the shelf from us and they don't know the distillery, they know that it must be interesting and exciting and they're likely to, to grab the bottle and discover the distillery that way. We do all of our selection in the same place. We never pick on site, which is an interesting thing. A lot of a lot of mm. private barrel programs 
are done, you go and you have your experience. But we found that the experience of being at a distillery, hearing the story, you're going to love everything they pour. And then when you come back for us, when we come back and do our tastings, things will pop out as the obvious choices that we may have not known when we were swept away by the stories. And even as we look at distilleries, we're not just looking for whiskeys that we think are, mm-hmm. are good and high quality. That, that's a baseline and it has to have that, but it yeah. also has to be interesting in some way. If you're in Michigan or Minnesota or wherever it may be and making whiskey that tastes exactly like Kentucky bourbon, that's not really interesting to us. It can still be very high quality, but you can get that from Kentucky. We want whiskeys from Nevada that taste like they're made in Nevada or from Texas that taste like they're made in Texas. They really reflect that regional character and new trends rather than copying what's been done before. Uh, you guys had a wonderful event in the Brandy Library in uh, Manhattan. I think that was last month. I've I, I've completely lost track of time these yeah. days. Uh, and, and you poured us a, a bunch of the samples. They were all phenomenal. And I, I, you know, one of my biggest takeaways was that you were looking for these kind of nuanced takes on well-known brands. The one that, you know, obviously stood out was the Balcones, known for its big, bold flavors. And then you poured this extremely subtle Balcones whiskey, unlike anything I've ever had from them. Again, can you tell me a little bit about finding these like new characteristics or maybe perhaps unreleased characteristics from some of these well-known distilleries? Yeah, so... The, the event we did was specific for our new single distillery series, which is coming out April 26th. And unlike single cast, where we're going and we're picking something that's interesting, the single distillery series is built on the fact that through our experience of going to distilleries and talking to the distillers and tasting their whiskey, we get a chance to see a side of the distillery that often isn't presented in their core lines. And for this, where our single distillery series is mini blends. So three to five cast blends that we put together with the team of the distillery. The goal there is to highlight an aspect of that distillery that we love and we've gotten to know, but we feel like generally people don't see that side. So the example of Balcones, we we know that they actually have a release that doesn't make it that far out called Mirador mm-hmm. that is in all use Cooperage. And it's a totally different side than what we see from their standard releases that make it out nationally. So we wanted to go in and use casts that were probably initially earmarked for that release, um, but build something that felt different enough for it to make sense for us to do it. But also showing that kind of delicate, elegant side of Balcones that exists, but often if it makes it even into Texas, doesn't generally make it out of there. Um, And just to help highlight how wonderful the whiskey is that they're making and and give people access to something new. Yeah, I, that was certainly the most interesting Balcones product I've ever tasted. I really, really enjoyed that, seeing a different side to it. I, I was not as familiar with that. It feels like we're in kind of a transition moment in whiskey right now. And you were talking about that. You guys were talking about that it was sort of like the regional focus or brands kind of reconsidering what they're doing. I was just talking with Dixon Deadman uh, at 2XO about this the other day as well, someone who's doing some interesting things, or at least doing things that weren't being done as uh, recently as even like five or six years ago. It kind of feels like there's a lot of newer brands coming out with a more modern take on whiskey, such as yours. You're adding complexity, new flavors, new aspects to the industry. Uh, how do we get here and what's next? Well, I think we it, we got here because of the bourbon boom over the last 15 years. And the, the distilleries that started up, a lot of them started up in the aftermath of the global financial crisis in 2008, 2010. So are now hitting the 10 to 15 year old mark since they were founded. So they were founded in the wake of whiskey starting to become truly uh, mass mass popularity again. That gave people the, the encouragement to start exploring these new ideas, things that 
early on, you didn't necessarily know the whether they would work. What would whiskey be like if it was made in Texas? It hadn't been done since Prohibition before. So no one, no one knew they had to experiment with it. And it takes a while to really hone in on that and discover what that climate is going to do for whiskey. And we think now, 10 years in, many distillers have gotten to the spot where they've really perfected their process learned how their climate interacts with their whiskey, what particular processes make sense for their region, like mesquite smoking in the American Southwest uh, to make mesquite smoked barley instead of peated barley. And we were excited that we've seen that mature. And over the next 10 years, we think we'll see much more of that. There are still, of the 2000 distilleries that have opened around the country now, about 80 to 90% of them are still less than 10 years old. So there's a huge amount of maturation and growth and innovation and innovation. And that means that if they're doing a four-year-old product, they've maybe only done one or two releases where they've made it, put it out, made something new and learned from that and put that out. Mm -hmm. As that expands over time, there will be new styles will proliferate and quality will increase across the board. And I'll add it kind of in parallel with with these distilleries coming up, you also have whiskey drinkers becoming educated and really seeking out things that are new and exciting and innovative. So, cause even if people were doing great things, if no one wanted to drink it, it wouldn't matter. But I think that those things working in parallel, whether it's whiskey that is new and creating flavors that didn't exist, that's why we exist because those whiskeys exist. And also there are enough people that want to try that, want to buy that and are excited about exploring the range of what can be made in the United States. You need both of those things for the the types of companies like ours and Dixon's to make any sense and to to have the the support that we've had from the industry so far. Right. I, I was going to ask you if consumers need a certain amount of education with some of the newer styles and newer products or, you know, newer ideas like what you guys are doing. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> In a word. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it depends on the product. So we like to when we work with a distillery, we like to buy whiskey that introduces people to the distillery. So is something that isn't too crazy or wild is 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 something that if someone buys a bottle from us in in that perspective they'll know what they're getting from the distillery i think those are easier for people to understand you just say it's a single cask from a great distillery that you've never heard of we also do things that show more similar to the single distillery series but also in the single cask side of things we do things that show that other side and might be something that people have never had like malted wheat or slow gin finished rye we have a whole range of things that are really innovative that take some education. We, what we're doing also always takes some education, but I think that there's a growing number of people that know what an independent bottler is. And for us, we're excited for more of us to exist because then that education becomes easier. We're not the only person talking about it or people talking about it. And I think that as people grow to love craft distilleries, they also get to know us that way. There's a nice kind of symbiotic relationship where we're talking about them and they're talking about us. So a lot of the early people that drank our product, it was because they were fans of the distillery and wanted that additional information and then they get to know us and trust us and that's that's a nice relationship but the education is required that's why we started small because it takes work and we want to make sure that we can keep the quality level where we need it to be as we grow and take that gradually so that our volumes and the demand and understanding of what we're doing grow in parallel so that when we're bigger and are doing a lot of different things we already have put in that groundwork when it comes to education 
Um, I will add also, though, in general, the thing that needs the most education is American single malt, even beyond mm. what we're doing, because people are still learning. It's such a new a new category. It's one of our favorites. We think it's super exciting and innovative, but it's it's something that talking about a bourbon or rye, it's much easier for people to click into what we're doing, but trying to both explain American single malt and then independent bottling on top of that, that's that's always a, a bigger hurdle for us to clear. Yeah, I was going to ask you about if you think that American single malts are really going to take off. We think that they will, but it's going to take a while. It's just like it took a while for for bourbon and rye to to come to where they are now. Uh, I think rye in particular, where that had been a, a very, very small category, and it really took a long time to start to snowball, and then it eventually did. But it takes a lot of consumer awareness yeah. to get even get to the point where your average bar would have a bottle of something on the back bar. And... We think it will eventually get there, but it will it will take time because the the quality is there now. the The distribution isn't necessarily there yet. There are not that many brands that are truly widespread across the country yet, and most of them are are very much at the super premium pricing tier. There are not very many American single malts that are under thirty five or forty dollars, which are helpful for people to discover the category in the mm -hmm. first place. So it's going to be a slow burn. We expect it's going to be steady growth for a long time and eventually become. A really big deal in the way that Japanese whiskey has. Yeah, that's, Japanese whiskey is the one that I always look to for our hoped trajectory. It took a while, but now look at how how much demand there is for um, Japanese whiskey. Perhaps the most important question: the podcast. Where can people find Lost Lantern products? So we're it's until the end of the month. It's just mostly through our website, LostLanternWhiskey.com and Sealbox.com. But starting at the end of April, early May, we're going to be in select stores and bars in both New York and California. We're excited about that. And probably in Kentucky as well. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we're we're excited to be building the on-premise side for an independent bottler because that's something that we've, we've seen less of with Scotch, at least in the United States. You see mm -hmm. it in Scotland. But we think there's a lot of opportunity because it helps bars get their hands on things they couldn't get otherwise. If they're open to whiskeys that rotate and are not necessarily available for a super long time, some bars don't like that. Some bars love that kind of thing. But especially for American single malt, it's a brand new style of whiskey that doesn't have established signature cocktails to it yet that have been around for 100 years. So there's a ton of room for mixologists to play and eventually ideally create signature cocktails for the style of whiskey that may be known for a very, very long time. So we're excited to be part of helping build that out. Have you been getting a good response from the on-premise? So far, yeah. It's It selects types of places, places that have encyclopedic whiskey libraries or do a lot of whiskey flights. But they often see it as a way to get their hands on something that they just literally can't otherwise because it's only available in a few states on the other side of the country. And they may have people coming in and asking for that brand already or just want to be able to have things that no one else has. And for those kind of places, they're very interested in in what we're doing. Yeah, but we are we're still very low volume, so it's very select, specific whiskey-focused bars and and retailers as well. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, well, I think we are out of time, um, so I want to thank Nora and Adam for joining us, and thanks to all of you out there for listening to On and Off. Absolutely, thanks so much for having us. For having us. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Join us next time. We'll talk about another topic that spans the retail and restaurant worlds. Until then, cheers. Cheers. If you enjoyed the On and Off podcast, please hit the subscribe button. Also, you can find more great content at cheersonline.com and beveragedynamics.com, including recipes, product reviews, and interviews with the movers and shakers of the beverage alcohol industry. 
You can also sign up for our free weekly e-newsletters for both publications on our websites. Cheers. Cheers.